we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe I left. just want somebody to share my life. I was able to have this huge heartbreak without also having a mental breakdown. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another thought-provoking episode of Dates and Mates. I know that people find the uncertainty in dating and relationships to be stressful, but it raises the question, is anxiety possibly keeping you from meeting your match? Well, New York Times bestselling author Allison Raskin is here with us to discuss how coming to understand her own anxiety and OCD has helped her approach dating from a new perspective. But first and foremost, you know we like this dish. We are serving it up hot. The headline today is, what is the opposite of jealousy? And how can you cultivate it in your relationship? Then later in Dear Demona, I'll tackle the burning question. I'm single after 28 years of marriage. So how do I break back into the dating scene? Take a deep breath, lovers, because it's time to dish. D's dating dish. What is the opposite of jealousy? Well, according to Psych Central, it is compersion. If you're not familiar with the word compersion, let me give you a little definition. Compersion is our wholehearted participation in the happiness of others. It is the sympathetic joy we feel for somebody else, even when their positive experience does not involve or benefit us directly. Thus, compersion can be thought of as the opposite of jealousy and possessiveness. So let me give you a little bit of the historical context. This term apparently was first coined by the Carista Commune in San Francisco. You can probably tell just from the word commune where I'm going with this. (laughs) It began in polyamorous communities, and it was meant to sort of encapsulate the feeling that you got when you saw your partner with another partner. And that made you feel joy, and it did not make you feel jealous. Those who are not in polyamorous relationships often wonder, like, how can I see my partner with somebody else and not feel jealous? But if that is the agreement that you have with your partner, you can find joy in their joyfulness, right? So this article in Psych Central says, could it be possible for monogamous people to feel compersion. And of course, there are a lot of possibilities in your relationship for jealousy, but this article states that there's an opportunity there to look at these challenging situations as an opportunity for compersion. And monogamous people may feel joy at their partner's close friendships, at their work wins from other positive experiences. And it really got me thinking, this feeling of compersion may actually be what I often talk about as like seeing this feeling repeated when we visualize the partner that we want to be in a relationship with and how we want to feel when we're with them. And it could be this oneness that a lot of us seek in our partnerships, that we feel we are connected and we share the same goals. So even if your goals are not exactly the same, can you feel compersion for your partner as they move through their individual life experiences? And this article gave some tips on ways to practice compersion. 
And it's interesting because one of the first tips is kind of counterintuitive. It says to acknowledge jealousy as the first step to nurturing compersion. And this is very interesting. Like, I'm reading this fantastic book right now. Uh, It's called The Extended Mind, The Power of Thinking Outside the Brain by Annie Murphy-Paul. And it looks at different forms of intelligence. And the first chapter talks a lot about naming feelings, like just voicing, I am feeling jealous right now. And when you do that, it actually reduces the stress and anxiety within your body. Another suggestion of accessing compersion is to practice it first in non-romantic relationships. You learn how to feel compersion when a family member or friend is experiencing joy. And a lot of times, weirdly, that can be an easier entry point than when you're talking about compersion with your individual partner. It's very interesting, though, because this this is not one of the emotions that's generally taught. I even looked it up in Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. It's not in there. She has so many emotions. Compersion is not in there. And according to this Psych Central article, which we will link to in the show notes, one of the reasons people may find it difficult to feel compersion is that they don't learn the word while they're young and they're developing their emotional vocabulary. But you can actually, according to this article, feel compersion and jealousy at the same time. I don't think jealousy necessarily has as many of the negative connotations as we attach to it because it can be a driver. It can be a driver of communication and connection. It can be a driver of changing a situation, or it can just be a signal to you that you care so much. And maybe if you look at it from the other perspective, maybe what you thought was jealousy actually was compersion. And with this knowledge, it makes me wonder, how will that change my relationships? How could that change your relationships going forward if you really focus on finding compersion for your partner or the future people that you meet? and how that may, in turn, give you a positive feeling that you want to recognize and honor and live in in all of your future relationships. All that talk about compersion has me feeling a little bit of compersion for you because I know the love life that is waiting for you. It's right around the corner. I can see it. You maybe can't see it yet, but maybe that's because you don't yet have the profile starter kit. That is my easy kit to get you online, get your profile polished up, and turn it into a magnet to magnetize not just anyone, but the right dates to you. Spring is here. And it may be time for some spring cleaning in your dating profile. Check it out. It's free right now at datesandmates.com. When we come back, Allison Raskin will be with us to discuss the intersection of dating and mental health. Stay with me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Welcome back. I am here with Allison Raskin. She's a New York Times bestselling author and the co-host of the Just Between Us podcast, which you may have heard me on before. Allison has developed TV shows with FX, Netflix, MTV, YouTube Red, and 20th Century Television. Not too shabby. And she's now the author of Overthinking About You, Navigating Romantic Relationships When You Have Anxiety, OCD, and or Depression. Please help me give big smooches to Allison Raskin. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. It's so good to see you since uh, your podcast, Just Between Us. A lot has happened. You have a new book out. Yes. <laughs> and I'm just pumped. I'm just, I'm really pumped for you because you're you're really talking about things in your book that are so important, I can say, as a dating coach. So important, and yet not really discussed and really brushed under the rug. So tell me just about the the origin. Like, why did you feel like this book needed to be written? Why did you feel like I have to be the one to write this book? <laughs> it's a big undertaking. Um, what inspired you to write Overthinking About You? Yeah, it's so rare, I think, to think of an idea that actually hasn't been done before. So I don't know if it was so much I have to be the one to write this book or I can't believe this book hasn't been written yet. And so I'm going to take advantage of that. And I think for me, you know, mental health has always been a big part of my life. I've, I was diagnosed with OCD when I was four years old. So it's been an ongoing part of me, an ongoing struggle. And I don't think I recognized how my anxieties and my different mental health struggles made dating really hard. I think I really viewed them as like two separate things that like, oh, I have mental illness and also I'm bad at dating. Did you notice any parallels showing up like challenges that would show up in other areas of your life due to OCD that were sort of mirrored in dating or did it seem to show up in different ways? Well, I think I had a really hard time with uncertainty. You know, I think all of us have a hard time with uncertainty, but when you have an anxiety, you know, I have OCD and generalized anxiety disorder, like the uncertainty of relationships were really tough for me. And so I was always forever trying to lock things down, trying to define what things were, trying to get reassurance that this was leading somewhere and the somewhere was marriage, regardless of how old I was when I was dating somebody. And it was also on the flip side, when things went poorly with with dating, it really impacted my mental health. Like nothing could bring me to the brink more than a romantic rejection or heartbreak or the loss of a fantasy of being with somebody I had liked. It would just really rattle my world. You know, when you're living with different mental disorders, like it's you're already <laughs> sort of like, okay, like, here's hoping I don't fall off a cliff today. <laughs> and so to be able to to realize that I was starting to date in a healthier way, that I was engaging and dating in a way that and relationships in a way that felt very different than in my past, I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is exciting mm. that this kind of change is possible. And so once I noticed that change, I was like, okay, maybe this is something that I could really write about and speak to. And I think the beginning version of the book was much more of a memoir where it was really going to be me talking about my journey from all of those terrible stereotypes of, of quote unquote crazy in relationships to being able to be more stable, have healthier relationship patterns, all of that stuff. But then as I started working on it, I was like, my story's interesting, but also 
a lot of people have a lot of different stories and a lot of different perspectives. And I'm not a mental health professional. I'm a big time mental health advocate. I'm in school for psychology, but you know, I'm not a therapist. And so I really wanted to blow out the book and bring in all these different wonderful resources from like mental health professionals, dating coaches, actual couples, and sort of get their input of like, how do we navigate this? Like how it's hard enough to navigate romantic relationships if you're neurotypical, but how do you navigate them when you maybe have some different disorders? And for me, I really focused on anxiety, OCD, and depression, because that's what I could speak to personally. And I think, you know, when you add in other things, um, I didn't have the frame of reference I felt to be able to do that responsibly. Yes, that's very, that's very responsible of you. (laughs) And you made the book so approachable. I think for a lot of people, they don't know what that line is, Allison, between like, this is what, quote, normal, this is typical, this is, this is, atypical this is neuroatypical mm-hmm. this is uh, this is a process of discovery and like kudos to your parents for even at 4 years old saying i we are going to get help for our child can you speak to how someone might know when it's time for intervention and when it's just like the normal anxiety of the process of dating that's a great question and i think it one of the big themes in the book is that to date in a healthy way, you have to be in a stable enough place. And there have been times in my life where I've just not been stable enough to date and that didn't stop me from dating. And then it was a disaster. <laughs> but I think the the ability to really check in with yourself. And so like, for example, if somebody cancels on you last minute, which happens all the time in today's dating society. You know, you're maybe you're even on the way to the bar or restaurant and you get a text, oh, I'm working late, I can't make it. How do you respond to that in the moment? Do you respond to that in the moment as, oh, this is so annoying. Now what am I going to do with my night? Oh, man. Or do you respond, they can tell that I'm not worth their time, that they don't want to get to know me because they could tell from my profile I'm not worth getting to know. I'm never going to meet anybody. I should just give up. You know, like those are two very different reactions to the same scenario. So it's about that anxiety sort of being turned inward. Of Yeah, like how much is it rocking you? Like how much is mm-hmm. it really affecting you? Because it is, dating is really hard and there is so much uncertainty. But I think that there are, are normal levels of anxiety. Like anxiety is, is this tricky thing, right? Because we all have anxiety and anxiety serves us and it's important in life. And then there are anxiety disorders, which is different. Yeah, girl, I was reading the book and I was like, oh my gosh, I've had these thoughts. I've had that thought. I've had this thought. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) am I diagnosing myself? But like you said, everyone has some level of anxiety. There is a process to go through. You're not just like, oh, I am (laughs) crowning myself as dealing with generalized anxiety disorder. Like, there's a system for this. (laughs) It's interesting because there's a lot of debate within the mental health community about the value of diagnosis. And Mm. a lot of people don't really think there's much value in diagnosing people. And instead, it's more important about just working with the individual and their personal symptoms and making their daily life better. The value in diagnosis is often, it gives us a, a common language and vocabulary. So if I go from one therapist to another therapist and I say, I've been diagnosed with OCD, They have a general idea of what that means. It's also really useful for insurance companies. (laughs) 
Like therapists often can't bill your insurance unless you have a diagnosis. So that's a whole issue. Yeah. They're like, what's the problem? I'm like, I don't know. I just want to talk to someone. They're like, not covered. But also medication. You know, the reality is that having a diagnosis may get you medication that can help you feel better. And I do hear a lot of confusion, not knowing if they should reveal that when they're dating, when they should reveal that. When do you, when have you found is the right time to say, hey, I deal with this? And how do you even find the words to say that? It's a great question. Uh, <laughs> so I got some really great advice while writing the book. And, and basically, it's really important to to pay attention to like what stage you're at in the relationship versus how long you've known the person. So for some people on a first date, you might dive into some really deep topics. You might, you know, some people just naturally are more open and more vulnerable. And so you might find yourself across the table from someone who's sharing, you know, the bigger moments in their life, which might include some trauma. Someone might be sharing the loss of a parent. Some might be sharing the loss of a job, something that's like, you know, they're really opening themselves up and being vulnerable with you. And so when you get to stages of conversation where you are talking about the more intimate things, then it becomes a little, you know, a little tricky to omit this stuff, to then omit the mental health of it all. But if mm. you're just in a stage of dating where it's pretty casual, you're just talking about like work friends and what movies you saw and you haven't really deep dived into the bigger life stuff, then I don't think that you need to share it yet. But I think that once you're getting the sense of like, oh, we're actually getting to know each other, then I really think it's a good time to share because it's not just about, oh, God, I'm sharing this thing. I hope that they don't reject me because of it. It's also how does this person receive this information? Like it is a great opportunity for you to see if this person's even worth your intimacies and your vulnerabilities. Because if you say to somebody, hey, you know, I've actually been struggling with anxiety and depression since I was a teenager and I'm on meds for it. And they go, cool. Uh, what do you want another drink? <laughs> like, that's not the response I expected. <laughs> right. Like maybe that's a signal that this might not be a person that that can hold space for that, that is, is worth mm -hmm. sharing those things with and worth getting closer to. Yeah. I often talk about people needing to earn information from you on the show. But I, I, there's always a line between this is this is something that is going to impact. I love how you said that the stage that we are at, like this is an appropriate share for what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. And like I've seen on dates, people sharing really intimate things on first dates. But those people, if they're dating with like an intention for marriage or serious relationship, and this is something that is vitally important to them, I get why you'd want to front load that on the date and see and just see how they how they respond. And it's also really highlights that you have to figure out how you feel about it before you share it with somebody, mm. right? Because if I'm sharing I've had OCD since I was 4 from a place of shame, then the way somebody's going to receive that information is very different than if I'm just sharing it as a fact about myself and my life and my reality as something I don't judge, but it's just a part of who I am and my complexities as a human. Yeah. But if I if I share it and I'm like, oh, this is so embarrassing and like, please don't overreact. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But like, 
I do have OCD. And like, I know that you're thinking that, you know, like we can project a lot onto somebody through the way that we share a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that advice. Get clear on how you feel about it yourself and process it yourself. So do you think it is a big deal? Do you think your OCD is a big deal in dating? I think it impacts my day-to-day life and therefore it impacts the day-to-day life of whoever I'm with. If we're going to be spending a lot of time in the same space, you're going to notice that I have compulsions. You're going to notice that I need you to take your shoes off, that I'm going to want to wipe down certain things, that like it's really hard for me to stay at somebody else's place. You know, like I, I now live with my boyfriend, but when we when we weren't living together, I didn't go to his place that much. And I felt bad about that and I felt guilty, but also it was just really hard for me to stay the night at someone else's place. And so if he Mm. didn't have the context for that, you know, then it's just like rude. I imagine that can be very, very hard if you are living with OCD and people don't really understand, like then you have the burden, Allison, of being like, let me explain to you how this works. And it's different for every person and Mm -hmm. every different diagnosis that you address in the book. Yeah, and I think that that's a really important point, right? That's the, the whole issue of like, do diagnosis even matter? It's like one of my best friends has OCD and she hers presents completely differently in a lot of different ways. I mean, we have some overlap, but it's very different. And so really understanding the way that your brain works and then being able to have the language to explain that to another person is uncomfortable, it's vulnerable, but it's going to serve you so much. It's so important to get there. And when you speak to like, how do do you do that? I'm like a pretty big fan of role plays. What kind of role plays? (laughs) Mm -hmm. If you have somebody in your life that you trust that maybe already knows this stuff about you, like a parent or a friend, you can have a role play conversation with them when you know that you're starting to date somebody and you're getting ready to tell them. Like you can Mm -hmm. practice out loud with someone else what you want to say and how you want to say it. Because then in the moment, you have that to fall back on versus like potentially the anxiety of not knowing how to say it or what to say, which will then impact the way that you say it. Yes, I'm a big fan of role play and practicing and also even writing out. Mm -hmm. Like I'll tell my clients, script out the conversation the way that you hear it in your head. Write it down. Don't bring that with you to the date, but have it as a framework so then you at least know what you're trying to, to get across. I want to back up for a second because you kind of breezed over something uh, that we didn't talk about. And you were like talking about your boyfriend. (laughs) And in the book, at the end of the book, you actually end on a very different experience. You had a fiance Mm -hmm. and you were at the point where you thought your life was going to go one way. And... You got a little bit of a surprise. I, yeah. I, and people with anxiety love surprises, right? <laughs> they love for things not to go as expected. But um, can you tell us a little bit about that um, experience and then how you got from there to where you are now? Yeah. So when I was writing this book, I was I was living with a, a different person who then uh, proposed to me. So he proposed to me in May of 2020. And it, great timing. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, what else was going on in May of yeah, 2020? Well, I can't remember. We all, <laughs> I'm so curious what yeah. would have happened in another reality. 
you know, we'd been together a little over a year. He proposed. We were living together. It was basically, you know, my dream come true. And so the original last chapter of the book was called How Do You Make It Last or something like that. And it, it had a whole interview with my ex and it was all about our relationship and, and everything. And then in November 2020, on a very random night, he told me that our relationship was over, that something was missing and that basically he never wanted to see me again. <laughs> And um, or that he didn't want to work on Whiplash. it, that he didn't want to wow. do anything. He had unilaterally decided that the relationship was unsalvageable and there was no point in trying at all. And I have not seen him in person since that day. So obviously that was horrible. <laughs> um, yeah, that's like your worst fears mm -hmm. probably coming to reality. 100%. I mean, to be completely taken off guard and for the reason that he left me to basically be that like he seemed to just not love me anymore or that I wasn't enough or that I, you know, it wasn't like we fight too much or we have different religious views. Like it was literally like something is missing. And for an anxious mind, it can be really harmful to try to fill in what is that something, right? Mm. Because then you mm -hmm. can start to go, oh, I'm ugly. Uh, they don't find me attractive anymore. I'm annoying. They think I'm be a bad mother. They think that my OCD will ruin his life. Like you, you fill in that blank because they didn't give you any answers. And it was this really ironic thing where I kind of became like the first guinea pig of the book's messaging where I was able to have this huge heartbreak without also having a mental breakdown. If that makes sense, mm. where like I grieved and I was in pain and it was awful, but I didn't become suicidal. I didn't self-harm. I didn't hate myself as a reaction to what had happened to me, um, all three of which I believe would have happened if this had happened to me earlier in my life. Like I, I really feel like if this had happened to me at a different time, the fallout would have been much, much greater and worse. And so it was like, oh, it is possible to put up enough safety nets where even if your worst case scenario happens, you're you're ultimately okay. And I yeah. I remember feeling even like that night that he left me, I remember feeling in my gut, this is so awful, this is so painful, but I know I'm going to be okay. And I'd never had that feeling following a breakup before. Wow. That that really is a mark of growth. And you you put a button on it so perfectly and you end the book. I know we're talking about the end of the book, but there's like so much juicy stuff that we skipped over. <laughs> and I just want everybody to read the book because it's really a great, great read. So I'm not going to tell you all the stuff in the middle, but I will tell you the end quote that you leave on is don't give up on yourself and don't give up on love. Oh my God, Allison, I'm almost like getting curious. <laughs> But just to find that optimism through that deep sadness and disappointment, it like, where do you get that from? And then how did you then find the strength to be able to go back into the dating pool and, you know, be open to love again? I sort of like made this decision that I didn't want my ex to continue to control my life where 
if I didn't start dating again, and if I gave up on this lifelong dream of having a partner, then not only was he robbing me of the future I thought we were going to have together, he was robbing me of any good future I could have for myself. Mm. And so I really decided, I, I was like, I have to take the power back. And so I kind of dove back in pretty quickly because I could tell that if I waited a long time, I was going to be too afraid. Like I could feel the fear building up in me and I could feel that I was telling myself these unhelpful things, that there was no one else out there, that all the good ones were taken, all of these things that are not true and not helpful. And I wanted to prove to myself that none of that was true. And I thought that the way to prove that was to start meeting new people, to start dating again, to see that I could make a connection with somebody else. And then in the same way that I was so unlucky to have this abandonment happen, I became very lucky. And within a few weeks of being on Hinge, I I matched with my, my now boyfriend. I don't think it's luck. I think you really took the time to figure out what you wanted and that took a lot of internal work, a lot of positive self-talk that you had to, you know, rewrite. Like I talk in my program about these limiting beliefs. So I think that's beautiful. And I don't think it's luck. I think you need (laughs) to give yourself a lot more credit for that. What I do give myself a lot of credit for is not bailing on my new relationship because I'm someone who loves things to be clear. I like when it's very good or bad. And I've a lot of my journey has been being okay with the gray. And it felt really uncomfortable for me to be dating somebody while I was still in love with my ex-fiance. It's not like, oh, the first date I had with John, I was suddenly over my ex. I wasn't. Like that process took a long time. And a lot of the beginning of our relationship was me getting over somebody else. And I credit, I credit myself for being able to tolerate that discomfort. And I also really, really credit John for giving me the space to do that and not making me feel Mm -hmm. like I had to hide my thoughts about it. I grieved the loss of my engagement with John just as much as I did with anyone else. Mm. Yeah, that is, that is part of the process. Like relationships do show us who we, who we are, where our strengths are, where, where our shortcomings are. And so I think it's amazing that you've found somebody that's willing to walk through all of that with you. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times I get questions from listeners who are on the other side of this. What do you say to those who are, who are dating someone with a mental health diagnosis? Robin Gibbs, who's who I interview in the book and who is also my mom's best friend, spoiler, um, <laughs> she has this great way of looking at it where you need to be your primary helper and then your partner is your secondary helper. And so when somebody is suffering with these various disorders, I get that you want to help them and you want to be a support system, but for it to be a healthy dynamic, they have to be their own primary helper. You know, they have to recognize that maybe there's some stuff they need to do. Maybe there's some work that needs to be done. But if you develop into a pattern where it's all on you to help them and they're not doing things to help themselves, that can be really problematic. But if you have a partner Mm -hmm. who has the language and the ability to say, hey, I'm noticing that my depression is getting worse. I'm going to go back to therapy. I'm going to start, you know, exercising more regularly for the 
the dopamine, like I'm going to make sure that I go to bed earlier because I know when I don't, I, I feel the effects of that. Then you can say, great. Thank you for telling me. Now I know that the reason that we've we've been off is because you're off, but it's not a reflection of how you feel about me. Thank you for that clarity. Let me know how I can support you in you helping yourself get better. Yeah, and there might even be the situation, Allison, where like that person doesn't realize they're on the brink of, you know, having an episode or that they're in a deep depression. And you might have to be the one to sort of hold that mirror up, but you can't you can't go to the session for them. You can't take the medication. You can't go to bed early for them, right? Mm-hmm. So there are helpful ways, I would imagine. And then like uh, like in the book, you're like, don't say like, you sound crazy, <laughs> right? <laughs> like something like that, you know. So can you give us the language for a helpful way to encourage your partner to get help if you see that they are going down a path that's not healthy for them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's coming from a place of love versus accusation, right? And so it's saying, "Hey, I've noticed that it seems like maybe your anxiety is a little more present than it's been in other times. Like, does that feel true to you?" Right? So instead of pushing it on them that this is fact, kind of get their opinion. Being like, "Oh, what is some stuff that you've done in the past when this has happened that's helped and maybe we can try that." You know, of like mm. reminding them that they've gotten through these episodes before, that th- that their mental health has been a bit of an up and down, but they've gotten themselves back up. And so it's sort of like, okay, I guess we got to do a little more work, but like you've done it before. I'm here to help. Let's dive in. Mm-hmm. That was perfectly said. And it kind of brings it back to that original point that you were making about knowing the relationship that you want and the lifestyle that you want and being able to communicate that to your partner. But, you know, you have to leave en- enough space for them to to step up or express what they want and, you know, have their own free will. And I know that that can be challenging when you have anxiety, OCD, depression in staying in that that gray area, as you said. But that is where a lot of what we learn from relationships lies. So I'm glad that you have given us a roadmap through your book. Thanks for sharing your story, Allison. Oh, thank you so much for giving me a venue to do so. You all should definitely check out Allison's podcast, Just Between Us. And you can follow her on Instagram at Allison Raskin. Keep an eye out for Overthinking About You. It'll be out next week. So make sure you get your pre-orders in and then it will be delivered to you on release day and you can start reading it right away. We'll be sure to put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. In a moment, I'll be back to answer the following listener question. I haven't dated in forever. Ooh, I can't wait for this one. Stick around. You know I've always got you covered with your dating dilemmas, and you know you can always send a question to me. You can DM me at Damona Hoffman on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. You can send me a voice memo on any of those platforms, or you can give me a call, 424-246-6255. Anytime, day or night, call me, text me. That is my 24-7 voicemail and text line. Dear Damona. Demona, help me. All right. This question comes to us on Instagram from a listener named Wanda. Wanda says, 
I am a 55-year-old woman who has been permanently separated for the past nine years from a 28-year marriage. I'm interested in dating, but the truth is, I don't know how. I come across as an extroverted person. I'm a portrait photographer and nurse. I married a person from my neighborhood to reduce any challenges in my world. But even more than marrying that way, I stayed in the marriage. Now fast forward and we are in the time of online dating and I have no idea how to do it. I meet men, but I freeze. I don't know what to say or do. Please help me. Oh, Wanda, I hear you, and you are not alone. There are folks listening that have not been in a 28-year marriage, and they're still coming to me going, how do I do this online dating thing? So you are in the right place. And I first want to just acknowledge that it's very common to have one personality, like Wanda says she's an extroverted person. But then when you get into the dating situation, this other person who you may not recognize emerges. So my goal always is to merge those two people and to get to be your most authentic self, both in your dating profile and in person. So first, Wanda, I'm going to have you just do a little bit of self-awareness and kind of taking stock of who am I? Who am I independent of this relationship? It can be very difficult when you've been in a long, long-term relationship to separate. This is me. This is who I am. This is what I love to do from this is what we do as a couple. So you have a tremendous opportunity here, Wanda, to be able to do that and to be able to define this is how I want to live my life now. I don't have to compromise for anyone else. I don't have to change who I am and I can do what I want to do. You are a portrait photographer. You're a nurse. By the way, thank you for working through this crazy last two years. And it sounds like photography is something that brings you a lot of joy. Explore that. Explore that and figure out what else makes you excited. What else lights you up? Figure out also what you're attracted to and write all of this stuff down. Like I do this in my dating coaching programs where I have people literally visualize the life that they want and do different exercises to give them the language. We were talking at the top of the show about finding the language. If you can have the language for this is the, the relationship that I want, this is who I am, this is what I bring to the table in a relationship and really start with that place of, clarity for you, it's much easier to then move into the dating space because you can be yourself and you will know very quickly if this is a match or not because you're not becoming something else to date. You're just you. So start with the exercise that I gave you and then follow it up with the profile starter kit and then come back to me, Wanda. I have so many programs and tools and resources available to you, but let's just baby step it. We'll just, I'll hold your hand along the way. Just keep listening to Dates and Mates. Phew, that was episode 408 of Dates and Mates. Do me a favor. If you love this show, if you heard something today that gave you an aha moment, if you were like, I have never heard of compersion before, and that makes me want to share this, then tell a friend about Dates and Mates. You can share it on social media. You can just click share within the app that you're listening to. Send it to a friend. I am here to help, and you might get a feeling of compersion by sharing this podcast with someone and helping them find joy and success in relationships. 
If you're just beginning that journey or if you are running into challenges in your dating life, though, you know I'm here to help you too. You can DM me your question at Damona Hoffman on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also call me or text me at 424-246-6255. By the way, I know we talked a lot about anxiety, depression, OCD, and even though you may not have heard an ad for BetterHelp, I just want to acknowledge BetterHelp has been our partner on Dates and Mates for the last two years. And that's because the work that BetterHelp does in partnering you with a licensed clinical therapist in your area dovetails very nicely with the work that I do in helping you date. So if you're coming out of a relationship like Wanda or you're feeling anxious or depressed like Allison, or you just want to talk to somebody, I highly encourage you to check out BetterHelp. Our link is betterhelp.com slash datesandmates, and that will get you 10% off your first month. So check the link in the show notes. Again, you may not have heard the ad read in this week's episode, but I just really believe in the work that BetterHelp does and that it is so complimentary to the what you are learning on this show. So check them out. We'll be back next Tuesday with Case Kenny of the podcast New Mindset, Who Dis? I bet you have seen his posts on Instagram and you're pro- you've probably shared them. And I can't wait for you to hear more about his philosophy and how his use of mindfulness can actually benefit you in dating and relationships. Until then, I wish you happy dating. <laughs>